This is Ergasia Digest, a weekly roundup of news from the world of faith, work, economics and theology, arranged and presented by Brendan Byrne. Hello and welcome to Ergasia Digest number 5, a regular roundup of news from the world of work, faith, theology and economics. My name is Brendan Byrne and I have the pleasure of being your host. Ergasia Digest acts as a supplement to regular episodes of Ergasia by highlighting news about work and economics and posing questions that tie these news items to considerations of faith and theology. It will not necessarily be the purpose of Ergasia Digest to suggest or supply answers to the questions which then arise, merely to provide food for thought for listeners' own reflection. And so, here is the news. Beginning in Japan, and the Asahi Shimbun newspaper reports that Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has been forced to issue a public apology and admit that a government-commissioned report on labour conditions in Japan contained over 100 errors and discrepancies. However, despite the apology, Abe said this did not change his government's plans to introduce new labour laws that would extend the use of so-called discretionary contracts in the workplace. Under current legislation, such contracts are limited to the employment of specialists and occupations in which regular hours are not normally worked, and enable employers to require workers to work a set amount of paid overtime in any given period. Both the report and the legislative program it supports have come under fire from opposition parties and labour unions in Japan, who are concerned that it will lead to a proliferation of overtime in an industrial culture in which the working of extended hours is already endemic. Indeed, the problem is so severe that there have been a series of widely reported deaths among workers blamed on working excessive overtime hours, including a 23-year-old construction worker who committed suicide in April 2017 after working 200 hours overtime in the month prior to his death while working on the construction of Tokyo's Olympic Stadium. The government's plans also appear to run counter to another campaign to reduce working hours known as Premium Friday, which is encouraging employers to allow employees to leave work early on Fridays so they can go shopping and stimulate the economy through increased retail consumption. Moving to the United States, and The Guardian reports that billionaire investor and corporate raider Warren Buffett, in his most recent letter to shareholders, has reported that a large portion of his organization's annual profit did not come from commercial activity, but was instead the result of recent tax cuts legislated by the administration of U.S. President Donald Trump. Buffett's company, Berkshire Hathaway, reported a record profit 
of 65.3 billion US dollars, of which 29.1 billion came directly from corporate tax cuts. In reporting these profits, Buffett also lamented the fact that it has been two years since Berkshire Hathaway have been able to make any corporate acquisitions, blaming this hiatus on a spending frenzy that has resulted from company executives having access to cheap credit and which in turn has driven up the cost of acquiring other companies. As a result, Berkshire Hathaway is sitting on reserves of over $116 billion, mostly consisting of government bonds. Meanwhile, in Europe, The Guardian also reports that the Trump administration's tax cuts have come under fire from Christine Lagarde, managing director of the International Monetary Fund. Speaking at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Lagarde identified the Trump tax cuts as one of three dangers to the global economy, the other two being widening economic inequality and a lack of international cooperation amid rising political tensions. In relation to the tax cuts, Lagarde said that while they might produce some short-term benefits, they posed a longer-term threat to economic stability because the cuts could result in a blowing out of the US national deficit, which in turn would force the US Treasury to increase its levels of borrowing, thereby driving up interest rates. The ultimate result of the tax cuts, Lagarde warned, could be to precipitate a halt in recent global economic growth, in in turn causing new market shocks and a new wave of worldwide recession. In the Asia-Pacific region, the Nikkei Asian Review reports that attempts by governments in the region to resuscitate the so-called Trans-Pacific Partnership may face stiff domestic opposition, despite upbeat assessments by Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe and Chilean President Michel Bacalet. The TPP was effectively scuppered in 2017 when newly elected US President Donald Trump pulled the United States out of the multilateral economic treaty. Since that time, countries like Japan, Chile and Australia have taken the lead in trying to reinvent the TPP without US participation. In Japan, for example, legislation being prepared by the Abe government to ratify the treaty is expected to meet fierce parliamentary opposition to the extent that it is doubtful whether the bills will be passed before the end of the present sitting term in June. In Mexico, political uncertainty caused by hotly contested presidential elections scheduled for July may also delay ratification of the TPP in that nation. Meanwhile, Canada, which once opposed the TPP, is now expected to ratify the new agreement, although there is no established timetable for the Canadian Parliament to do so. Critics of the new agreement say that it is essentially unchanged from the original TPP treaty. Finally, in Italy, the Vatican magazine Women Church World has caused a stir by publishing a fierce denunciation of the exploitation of nuns and other women within the church, whom it claims are being used as virtual indentured labour by bishops and other high-ranking clergy. Women Church World, once a subsidiary of the Vatican newspaper L'Osservatore Romano, but now a standalone publication, 
published its denunciation in the wake of an earlier article which appeared to advocate for lay women being able to preach homilies during church services. According to the article, women working in the homes of bishops and cardinals, as well as in church institutions, are often exposed to long hours of arduous labour and are frequently either underpaid or not paid at all. Moreover, the women are not appreciated for their intellectual and spiritual gifts. The article quoted a nun who claimed that women serving the male clergy are rarely invited to eat at the tables they serve. Women Church World is believed to enjoy the support of Pope Francis, but it is also believed to be deeply detested within many sections of the Vatican's highly patriarchal bureaucracy. As a postscript to the story about the Abe government's plans to introduce legislation extending the use of discretionary contracts in Japan, subsequent media reports reveal that the number of errors and anomalies in the government data used to justify the proposed reforms has risen to over 200. As a consequence, Prime Minister Abe recently conceded that the bill to introduce discretionary contracts would have to be withdrawn. Abe, however, hasn't ruled out reintroducing the measures once the Ministry of Labour completes a review into how the report relied on by the government contained so many errors. What then are the theological implications of this week's news? Christ taught that the labourer was worthy of the hire. This teaching does not merely confer upon those who work an innate dignity available to them through work, it also imposes a moral obligation to ensure that the conditions under which work is performed do not militate against human dignity. Conditions in which environmental and other dangers are not alleviated, in which the labour of those who work is exploited for the enrichment of the powerful or the wealthy, in which work is not compensated for by just wages, in which work imposes unsociable or even antisocial hours of work, and in which characteristics such as gender are used to impose abusive or exploitative conditions of work, these all fail the dignity test implicit in Christ's teaching. Moreover, in those cases when governments enact policies that entrench in human work practices or economic inequalities into law, or when churches institute exploitative labour practices, thereby ignoring Christ's call to embody the kingdom on earth, the prophetic tradition of Christianity cries out for justice, restoration and reconciliation. But beyond this it also cries out for churches and Christians everywhere to reflect upon their own engagement with the world of work and economics, and to consider how they are a complicit in the degradation of human beings through exploitative work practices and inequitable economic structures, and b. to seek ways and means to correct these imbalances so that more people might be accorded the dignity that is the natural birthright of our shared humanity. Moreover, it calls on the institution of the church 
to take seriously the need for a theology of work and economics so that it might both engage the world of work as one of the primary human realities within modernity, as well as reflect upon and reform its own labour practices. And with that in mind, we come to the end of Ergesia Digest number 5. I hope to have the pleasure of your company in future. For more information, visit the website at www.ergesia.podbean.com. I am your host, Brendan Byrne. Goodbye for now. You have been listening to Ergasia Digest, a weekly roundup of news from the world of faith, work, economics, and theology. For more information, please go to www.ergasia.podbean.com.